rolling. Extra, extra. This just in. Welcome, Welcome to Uncover Girl. Girl, the podcast that unpacks the most memorable celebrity profiles of all time. We're your hosts, Ivana Ryder and Beatrice Hazelhurst, ready to unravel and review every culture-defining A-list interview with the help of writers, industry experts, and even the talent themselves. Journalism might be dying, but you better believe the celebrity profile lives on. In this episode, we cover the ever-problematic Pussy Posse, Leo's fear of losing everything, and the whereabouts of a certain ex-Mrs. Trump Jr. Maybe you've already read it, but you heard it here first. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to Uncover Girl. We're your hosts. Ivana Ryder and Beatrice Hazelhurst, and we are two entertainment culture journalists who are going to take you behind the many, many paywalls of media publications and into the dark, twisted, chaotic trust experiment that is the celebrity profile. It's a treasure trove out there of just, oh my God, the things that have been revealed on the celebrity profile. The things that have been written, mm-hmm. the the culture that has been shifted. Yeah. It's a really chaotic space. Oh my gosh. There's like no absence of drama. Oh, there's everything. It's the whole human experience. And as two young gals gabbing who've written many, many a profile um, on many different entertainers, this feels right up our alley. Yeah. And even a bit sentimental for us Ooh, because we actually met uh, writing a profile on you know, your classic um, singer-songwriter out of Nashville. A hot, young ingenue. Mm-hmm. We were positioned um, comfortably in a conference room for back-to-back 15-minute slots. Yeah, um, and both of us, I think, rather transparently accepted this um, interview uh, <laughs> because it came with the perk of a night at the Hyatt Hotel. In Midtown Manhattan. Yes, and hors d'oeuvres, yes. um, which is how I think both of us fed ourselves for a while. Um, through press event um, catering. Yes, over cocktails and canapes, we bonded over what felt like a pretty traumatic ride at the time. But I think we were still still a little bright-eyed. We really thought that this was like a hot industry to be in, uh, despite the fact that we had both recently left two different jobs at two major magazines. For me, I remember revealing, you know, that I was getting paid like $38,000 as an editor. And then when I asked for a raise, was given five more vacation days, taking them to a total of 10. (laughs) Um, And I just felt very mistreated and downtrodden. And I remember, you know, sharing this all with you and then being utterly humiliated when you turned around. When I revealed that I made $13 an hour yes. at one of the biggest fashion magazines. The, probably the, if you could read between the lines, listener, the fashion magazine of <laughs> the world. And Ivana, you were like nannying around the clock to like keep afloat. Yeah. Oh yeah. Ready to pick up bar shifts. Um, such is life in New York media today. We truly found love in a very hopeless place. Yes, yes. And since then, you and I have been going back and forth about the people we've profiled, about profiles in general. I feel like both of us read profiles voraciously. So it only made sense that we're here today to share with you, our lovely listeners, some of the very best 
that celebrity profiles have to offer. Yes. So each episode will be assigning each other a different profile to unpack. The co-host must then present to their fellow co-host. But no, we really bonded over shop talk and it's crazy how much um, someone's experience with a particular celebrity can shape your own perception of them. People are truly fascinated with how warm they were, what aura they had. Were they open? Were they closed? Um, Did they just treat you well? Um, We get these questions 24-7 and ask each other them as well. And there have been several major pop stars that I have unfollowed (laughs) after Vada's review. So I'll tell you, you may be in for a bit of a ride. And to help us along that ride, we're going to have some special guests come on. The writers that like wrote these profiles huge publicists, industry experts. We are uncovering all the juicy details for you, the anecdotes. So take it away. Where else could we begin? But with the iconic 1998 New York Magazine story, Leo, Prince of the City. Oh, Leo DiCaprio, baby. Ex Nancy Jo Sales. Yes. Do you want to quickly just preface Nancy Jo Sales? Yes. So... Nancy Jo Sales um, has, like, risen to prominence um, for both her work in the, like, celebrity profile space. Her work as a reporter, that's sort of where she initially cut her teeth. Um, And then, of course, Nancy Jo Sales was the one behind the iconic uh, Bling Ring article that uh, sort of revealed the identities of a lot of these um, young Hollywood runabouts runabouts. who were robbing... Celebrities, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Truly unhinged. So she was the one to break that story, which is kind of her claim to fame um, since she's done a lot of work in the dating app space. But at this point in her career, she's in her early 30s. She's tasked with uh, chasing down the hot, young heartthrob that's fresh on the scene, Leonardo DiCaprio. So to set the scene, (laughs) it is 1998. New York at the time is just this complete utopia um, economic boom, right? Yeah. Currently, so Bill Clinton is president in 1998. And the American economy is doing better than it's been in like decades at this point. Unemployment was at like a 28-year low inflation um, fabulous. Everything is like going well, very well. And in pop culture, I mean, we're looking at the release of, or the debut of Sex in the City, the series. Google launches this year. It's a really like, if you could time travel anywhere, I think 1998 is it. It also has this full mentality of what could go wrong. Like we are pre Mm 9-11. Hedonism, on steroids. Yeah, excess excess is, is, is everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Two months fresh off the release of Titanic, which at the time made upwards of $2 billion worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, its theatrical release in the United States um, was only unseated by the most recent Top Gun, the 2022 Top Gun. Um, it is just, it just, the chokehold Titanic had was insane. And because of that, Leonardo did not need any press. Like no. he truly was so fucking famous and beloved. So Nancy Joe is tasked with an interview with him, which she immediately does not get. Publicist shoots her down. Yes. And so this profile really follows what happens after um, and what happens when 
the star basically refuses to be present in the profile. Okay, so we need to so we need to say this. This never happens anymore. Like never happens anymore. It's like a crazy concept that this would ever become a cover story nowadays. It is the most we say this in media, it's a ride around, but it's such an extreme ride around where she is pulling from everything. She's pulling from one-off interactions with Leo who just, from people who just bumped into him at the club. She's pulling from his authorized biography, the Leonardo DiCaprio album. Look from far away, it's a Monet. It is a beautiful masterpiece. Close up is, is a little messy. (laughs) It's messy. So we start where all great profiles should start with a, a really unhinged fan letter yeah yeah which i feel like really does capture um leo mania which was just yeah blockbuster like the blockbuster hit that was titanic launched leo into the stratosphere and he was the name on everybody's lips everybody was obsessed with him women were lusting after him i feel like there's no way really to capture it but to read it oh like please like regale us okay it opens hi leonardo You just seem to drain all my worries out of me when I'm watching one of your movies. You are a hell of a better actor than Brad Pitt and all of those other shitty actors that some girls love to death. All I want to say before I sign off is that I don't think you are gay. Or bi. And when some of my friends say they don't like you, I'm not ashamed to say that I am deeply in love with you. Oh, and by the way, I'm a Calvin Klein model and I'm 21 years old. Posted on the Leonardo DiCaprio is a hot babe website on May 31st. Again, keep in mind, Google launches this year. So the internet is fresh as a spring chicken. And this is how people are using the World Wide Web. (laughs) So this is how the profile opens. He is at this point, you know, 23, um, turning 24. So 21 actually may be a little bit above his age range. At the time, he (laughs) is dating like a slew of models, like a parade a gaggle, um, a tribe, a pride yeah. of models. <laughs> um, they're all kind of in their teens, like to name a few, Amber Vietta, Helena Christensen. Like there are just so many famous women who have been um, associated with him at this point. And his girlfriend of two years um, who broke up with him in 1998 basically said, look, like <laughs> you have a posse of young model hounds. Like yeah. we just can't, we can't do it anymore, which fair enough. He does give very immature though. When you watch him back in interviews at that time, he deeply, uh, he's a deep reverence for the craft of acting. He's rejected Boogie Nights, which Mark Wahlberg went on to star in um, to do Titanic. Titanic becomes the biggest movie in history And he is just getting about town. Very much so. And if anyone has seen Sex in the City, you know, kind of, that sort of captures what it was, where it's like every night, a different club, a different bar, something's opening, something's launching, there's a premiere, and everyone is there. And it became sort of a safe haven for a lot of celebrities, I feel like, to go out in New York because it was a way for them to get away from the industry that really dominated LA and they could go to New York to really let loose. Yeah. Um, So the problem with being seen in LA at that point was that 
producers and casting directors were just as out and about as the actors were. So if you made a bad impression when you were drunk or high or whatever, you know, that's going to carry through your next audition. Someone's going to talk to someone. Um, New York was just total free reign um, to do literally whatever you want. And that is what he did. He gathered around him this this group of young men who all came up at the same time. They were all child stars originally and were up for the same roles. I, Lucas Hess, a, a member of the group, I think was up for the lead in the Basketball Diaries and then another role that Leo also secured. There was Tobey Maguire mm-hmm. of soon-to-be Spider-Man fame. Harmony Corrine. Oh, yeah, that one is a crazy one. I agree. So, like, so unexpected. This is like the Washington Square Park, like, skater dude who made kids. Like, it's very niche. Yeah. Um, David Blaine, also oh another wild God. one, The Magician, if everyone's familiar. Um, Ethan Supley, Jay Ferguson. Um, Kevin Connolly. Yeah, Kevin Connolly. Yes. Um, and this group of friends, of dear friends, um, to which like Leo became sort of the centerpiece, if you will. They called themselves the Pussy Posse. Yeah. So Nancy Joe, she talks about the fact that she's often, you know, credited for inventing the name Pussy Posse. She wants to make clear that she absolutely did not. I think yeah, basically was being passed around in Hollywood elite circles that these young group of guys were out chasing the tail of many models and the guys got wind of it and basically adopted it among themselves and it became like an in-joke to call themselves the Pussy Posse. But this is the first time it's gone public. The name is like, does suit their pursuit of just like women and wild times? Yes. Um, As uncomfortable as it is to say out loud, (laughs) um, it really, I think represents like this time for them for this group of young men the reason why the pussy posse is so central to this profile is because nancy doesn't get an interview with leo she pretty shamelessly pursues every member of the pussy posse she gets no's at every direction david blaine says no no comment she's hit with this at every turn she finally gets like a current to former member um, he's clearly on the outs with the group to speak anonymously. And that's how she hears that they call themselves a pussy posse. But this is kind of indicative of the direction the whole profile takes, which is scrap on scrap on scrap, talking to absolutely anyone she can, shaking down every tree to get even close to Leo in, in any sense of the word. Yeah, her her tactic is honestly incredibly admirable because at the point the publicist says no, she essentially sets off on foot to find him in the wild. Starts going to clubs and just seeing if she can locate him, like find him and everyone is like, oh, you just missed him or, you know, he's always here, but not tonight. And the way that this would never happen today. No. Because A, celebrities just don't go in the wild. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's a paparazzo. Everyone's got a, a camera. The privacy isn't the same by any means. But also the fact that you would be branded a stalker so quickly. Like it's not cute or cool to like chase talent around their local haunts. But that's what she does. So she talks to this guy who's like, oh my God, I like just bumped into him. And like, you know, he he was talking to me about chicks. Like he was so cool. (laughs) So like she, she meets those types and then she interviews bloody like Susan Sarandon. Yes. Yes. To like give you a picture of Leo Mania. It's not just, you know, regular Midwest girls that are lusting after him. Susan Sarandon (laughs) actually, um, like basically fights her way through a crowd to, 
get an audience with Leo on behalf of her teenage daughter. Um, Ava? Yeah. Ava. There it is. Yeah. Um, and her friends at the time who are all in love with him. And Susan Sarandon basically says that she made a fool. I, she says, he was totally adorable. I humiliated myself. <laughs> so she like pushes through these throngs of people to introduce her daughter to Leo. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And her daughter now is a mommy blogger. Um, <laughs> Which is such a like a tasty tidbit. I, I know. <laughs> I know. There's a lot of tasty tidbits. The names that are named in this article Hats off to Nancy Joe Sales because a lot of them have gone on to do just absolutely wild things. One of the first models that's introduced that he is dating is um, Vanessa Hayden. Hayden. Yeah. Yeah. Vanessa Hayden, who was a model at the time and they had been spotted together, had some page six stories. Um, and then Vanessa uh, would go on to marry famous fail son Donald Trump Jr., um, and run with the Trump family until they divorced in 2018. The way that she's classified in this article, I think, is worth mentioning because this is what a young man who grew up with um, Vanessa says about her. So Vanessa played the media really well. Now she's all dolled up and ladylike and shit, but she used to be this hard rock in leather and baggy jeans. She was a total gangster bitch. He goes on to say that she went out with this Latin king for like three years. Yeah, I found that a very cursed tangent. I agree. Yeah. It's very strange. But one of many. The, the Nancy Joe rabbit holes of just filling up the word count a little yeah. bit. And also the Nancy Joe rabbit hole of like somehow these people remain relevant. Like all the people she names sort of in passing are people that it's like there's updates for them today. Yeah, there are a bunch of name drops here, which are truly fascinating. I mean, she talks to some kind of club owner. She says, look, like, you know, everyone clamors over Leo, including Puff Daddy and Donald Trump, which feels like deeply 98. And at the same time, she's interweaving the profile with one-off quotes or anecdotes that have been featured in his biography that I think came out the year earlier. And some of them are extremely dark and she doesn't even, she doesn't even pause to, she throws them into the ether and expects you to just be like, yeah, sounds about right. Uh, She talks about Leo drawing a swastika on his head and like an ode to Charles Manson. To take on in like full method, um, the part of Charles Manson draws a swastika on his head. Um, wild foreshadowing as well for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> I know. A very successful film in which he takes down Charles Manson's, you know, disciples. But also, like, she says, you know, Leo's dad told him to lose his virginity at six years old, sent him out and said, go and do it. He killed a pigeon, apparently, as a child. There's some strange, like, any of the backstory on him is painted as very ominous. Yes, she also mentions um, Don's Plum. And if if you haven't heard of it, that's because Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire made sure of that fact. Um, it's a short film uh, for which they kind of did a member of their Pussy Posse like a favor. And it's almost totally improvised. I think it's about 10 minutes long. It's on YouTube. I haven't seen it. But um, it gets, I think, pretty misogynistic. Leo specifically asked the girls like, hey, do you guys masturbate? And I'm assuming not like a really fun sex positive way and like a kind of a seedy gross way. And then um, 
And then apparently in another scene says, stop looking at me like that. I'll fucking throw a bottle at your face, you goddamn whore. Yeah, so pretty, pretty intense. Um, The guy off the back of uh, Titanic's success and Leo's just skyrocket um, attempts to theatrically release the movie and Toby and Leo just block it hard, like shut it down. And you can kind of see why, like this is, this is who he is at the time. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And so a lot of the beginning of this really does kind of paint the scene of the pussy posse and like what they were up to at this juncture. And it seems like there was really like a sort of um, sibling rivalry happening where they were all wondering who would be the one to make it. They were on different sort of career trajectories. Toby was on like the Tom Hanks track. Um, Leo was hoping to model his career after De Niro and they were all, you know, they had all been seeing each other around since they were children at auditions. So there's like a jealousy and competitiveness, but also in an intense protectiveness, which seems to define the pussy posse. So Leo is, is obviously kind of outstripped them all in terms of probably talent, realistically. And I think that, you know, grates on them, but they also just feel like we must protect this man at all costs. And Nancy Joe actually said this year, you know, the TV show Entourage was 100% based on this relationship, which I think it was rumored to be based on Mark Wahlberg at the time. Yeah, and I think, yeah. and both Mark Wahlberg and his kind of group of friends, I think Entourage, like the storyline of them being these like neighborhood guys who grew up together and now they're all in LA. That makes sense. But definitely the fame of the lead in Entourage, which if you've ever seen the show. Dude, I've never seen it. I have to say it has not, it has not aged well. Um, to watch it now, it's really, I mean, it feels very like aligned with the world of this article where everyone's just like talking about how that girl over there has a nice ass and like, how are you going to get with her? Um, so it's very grating. Um, but Vincent Chase, the sort of central figure, is really like kind of stepping into this mega stardom and all of his posse is just like obsessed with him, would do anything for him, running errands for him, all kind of like working with him, traveling with him, coming with him everywhere, which is reportedly what everyone did with Leo, where it was like, if he's there, every one of his friends are also there. They're all encircling him, like, no matter what. Their lives literally revolve around his. Mm -hmm. He says, hey, guys, let's go to India tomorrow. They're dropping everything and getting on a plane. It's, they live to kind of serve um, and be in his presence, Uh, much like, I guess, all the women as well. And they were probably getting the off-casts of Leomania. So the ones, you know, the models who couldn't get with Leo would end up with one of them. So it's a it's a good place to be. It's not a it's not a yeah, terrible not a hard life. <laughs> not a terrible life at all for these fellas. Yeah, and they're all in their early twenties. They're gallivanting about town, um, and they very quickly develop a reputation for being insanely cheap. They don't tip anywhere, um, <laughs> and then just being children in general. Um, not being kind and aware of wait staff, uh, servers. Um, there's an anecdote where allegedly they go to the strip club and Leo sits back like Mac Daddy. Which is tragic, but not surprising because from all my years of serving and bartending, I feel like it's so often the wealthiest people that I like know for a fact are going to give me a 7% tip on like a $500 tab. Oh, such, such bad etiquette. Like such a bad way, such a no, bad way to be. No, pay the workers. Please. Pay the workers what they're worth. A hundred percent. There's a lot of 
sweat and tears that goes into being so good at something and you deserve to be validated for that a hundred percent so leo was one such um celeb uh a really incredible quote that i think nancy pulls from his biography um so to be clear the biography was authorized leo did give a full-scale interview or many a series of many interviews to the biographer for the leo dicaprio album and he kind of says why he is quote unquote the cheapest bastard in the world he says you never know i may go bankrupt or lose my career or have a hugh grant situation wait what is that this is (laughs) hugh grant who now has fathered many many children to different women um at the time, I think, was with Elizabeth Hurley. But in 1995, he was stopped by the cops and cited, ridden up for, I think, lewd behavior because um, a prostitute was blowing him on Sunset Boulevard. Um, so he basically was pressing the brake pedal repeatedly and it was flashing red and red and red. And so he had notified the cops and the cops came over and saw the whole thing happen i think he was fined like upwards of a million i I could be completely off there but i know it was kind of a hefty sum he had to attend um an aids awareness course which was obviously really prevalent in 1995 so this was a a recent reference for Mm -hmm. leo but it was an interesting one to choose that he was like you know maybe an escort will call me out and I will have to pay some money. You never know what's going to happen. It was twirling it away just in case. Just in case. So I won't pay the valet. I'll street park. But what's so interesting about Nancy's writing is that she, there's a a bunch of things that are cobbled together, um, which is kind of a great technique. You don't really notice Leo's absence as much. It's, it's like honestly shockingly full. Um, and it really takes until the end of the story to realize, like, oh, there, Leo's not here. Like, there is no Leo. There are no quotes. Like, I, yes. I feel like I've been reading and getting to know this person, but not from them. And it's yeah. almost like she's like painting like a negative, like in film. Like, it's like everything around him is so vivid, and then he's at the center of it all. And we're learning about him, like through everyone else yeah the whole time you're waiting for the penny to drop you think she's setting this very elaborate scene and then he's going to come through he never does um but not for her kind of lack of trying so she goes on this kind of huge tangent um and she ends up talking to uh elizabeth berkeley do you remember elizabeth yes berkeley? yes um who i mean you'll know her from saved by the bell or yeah. showgirls which showgirls is, was the big one. Oh my god she danced harder than i've ever seen <laughs> anyone dance in that movie um and at this time it had just come out it was like she was very much she was fresh off that success yeah 100% and i think that the Pussy Posse were very interested in her. Um, and they had a habit of, I think, hitting or shaking shaking down publicists to try and broker a meet. Um, but before we kind of unravel the story of Elizabeth Berkeley and Leo, can you kind of just explain, like, publicists then versus now? Oh, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Publicists then were basically all powerful beings. And there were a few mega publicists that had like all the power in Hollywood where they had a roster of A-list clients. And if you wanted to get access to them, you had to go through the publicist. And they 
sort of looked at things holistically at Mm. how can I launch my client into superstardom? Who can I set them up with? Who can they date? Who can they be seen with? Where should they be seen? You know, if it's at an opening of a major club, how can I raise their profile in any way possible? So it wasn't um, like unforeseen or like un this uncommon. Is yeah uncommon yeah yeah that they they would be sort of involved in their like social lives in yeah. this way okay so we're dealing with uh karen tenza who at the time was leo dicaprio's publicist um clearly she was doing a lot of i hate to use the word but kind of like pimping yeah like uh, matchmaking ma- matchmaking but that's yeah. like honestly for what she did here with elizabeth hurley no, um, that's Oh, <laughs> it's, a, it's an easy mistake. We just came off Elizabeth Hurley I know. and Hugh Grant. Um, There's so much going on. I know. Elizabeth Berkeley. Elizabeth Berkeley. So wait, <laughs> Elizabeth Berkeley was of Saved by the Bell fame yes. at this point. And she had just been in Showgirls. That's right. Yes. Which was huge. Huge. The boys loved, loved. to see it. Yeah. Loved. <laughs> loved to see it. She danced. She danced. Um, yes. And that was a big, I think, performance for her. Right. So Leo and Pussy Posse Collective um, were all interested in Elizabeth Berkeley. I think it was spearheaded by Leo. Um, so he kind of reaches out to his publicist um, to do an intro yeah um the problem is is that elizabeth berkeley is literally in the happiest healthiest relationship with a guy who is he he's like roger wilson okay so so, like b-list yeah i would say he's in porky's one and two any (laughs) any porky's heads i know please come out yeah come out of the woodwork and tell us about porky's what are we missing if we are being disparaging of porky's it's because we don't know it we don't know it we don't and know we it. admit that we're we, here yes we're not trying to pass ourselves off yes um but basically um karen <laughs> yeah karen calls or like reaches out to elizabeth yes. to say jay ferguson and leo are going crazy for you and this is a quote from the piece um and they want you to come to elaine's after this without roger um and to note that uh, like Elizabeth is not only in like a very happy relationship, I don't think she has much interest in these like young guys. No. And that's not her scene. And um, so she gets invited to this restaurant. I think that from all reports, it's Karen Tenza and her assistant that are just like barraging her with phone calls. There is, yeah. it's just endless to the point that Roger feels like he needs to kind of get involved. Yeah. And that comes, so basically before this and Berkeley is, understandably upset because um when she isn't like responding to this she is getting yeah she got like seven messages from tenzer and then um when she finally gets on the phone with her um and i quote the first thing Karen said was why didn't you call jay back says berkeley with quiet outrage she said your presence is requested here wait wait tenzer tenzer says with quiet outrage berkeley said berkeley with quiet outrage. Oh, yeah, yeah. Repeating. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah um, got it. And then Tenzer says, your presence is requested here. Her tone was very impatient. And I said, this is Elizabeth speaking, what, are you trying to deliver me to these guys, Karen? And she said, well, you know. You know. You, you know. know. This is how the game goes, and you do know, Elizabeth. Yeah. Um. At this point, um, they get Jay on the phone and um, 
basically she hands the phone off to Roger because she's upset. This is annoying at this point. She yeah. feels very uncomfortable and she gets Roger involved to it's, talk to it's, Jay. It's, it's harassment. Yeah. Such a violation. Yes. And Roger, to his credit, starts very calm and is just like, look, I, I'm asking you not to call my home again. And Elizabeth would really appreciate if you didn't call as well. Mm-hmm. And then things get heated and they get into a spat on the phone, which ends in Roger deciding that he's going to go to the restaurant to confront the posse. Yeah, that felt misguided. Um, mm-hmm. But he goes down to the restaurant. Um, what ensues is like a physical altercation, but a very specific one. I suppose they all go outside. It's Pussy Posse v. Roger. Um, he's alone. And someone throws a punch. And we don't know where it comes from, but someone has thrown a punch. It connects with his windpipe. Um, so he's gone down. It's in the throat. Um, basically, Karen Tanza, the publicist, is overseeing the, the whole thing. She's seeing the result of her puppetry and freaking out. She's like, guys, I think this is my fault. It's like, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Tenza, this is your fault. Um, she's panicking. And what then ensues is a police report. They secret service descend on Leo. Like he's the president of the United States. His boys just hustle him up, bundle him away. He cannot be seen in association with this whatsoever. Um, God, imagine an assault charge at that point in his career. Like, it oh just, yeah, it wouldn't have looked good. Oh, and he already had a reputation for getting for into a trouble. Bad boy. Yeah. yeah, but not among the public. No, like, that's only the thing. The industry insiders. Yes. So it would have shaken him somewhat. Mm-hmm. Who knows what might have happened? Basically, luckily, his boys got him out of there. <laughs> Do it for the boys, honestly. Like yeah. the boys always got you. you they know? fell on that grenade, but they actually did get sued by Roger within a year, I think. Um, he alleged that there was irrevocable damage to his windpipe. Oh. I guess it halted his Broadway career, his rock band, um, his pursuit of many different movie roles. And um, he sues for like $45 million. Um, <gasps> That's a lot. Yeah, it turned into a whole kind of shitstorm. Yeah, I actually don't know what the outcome of the suit was. I would love to look that up at a later date. Yeah. Um, but I think there was a settlement from what I can, from what I can gauge. The funny thing about this article recounting all of it, this is a deep cut CNN article from the early 2000s that's documenting this whole saga. That Hugh Grant line was referenced again in regards to Leo. So the, I'm the cheapest bastard in the world, you never know, may go bankrupt, lose my career, or have a Hugh Grant situation. Mm. So, I mean, that was a real takeaway of a quote, it seems. Struck everyone. Struck everyone, especially Roger. Yeah. The most struck of all. Oh, poor Roger. (laughs) Hope you're doing okay. (laughs) And still, no one knows who threw the punch. No one knows who threw the punch. Um... And the, I guess the head of chief of security at the restaurant, uh, makes a full report to the police names and, and points the fingers at what went down and he gets fired a couple of weeks later. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the power, the power, <laughs> if that does not connote the power that is Leomania, I, I, I don't know what will. I yeah, mean, I know. Yes. I know. So Leo and the Pussy Posse had developed sort of a reputation for brawls. They also set off like a stink bomb at a bar, a popular bar in New York. Yes. Um, they like to get up to trouble when they could. It was very boys will be boys. And they were never held accountable for pretty much anything um, just because of Leo's fame, what he could do for a certain event and or a space. But that 
energy was going to catch some flack eventually. In the sense of Nancy Joe, she, I mean, she really reams them. Like this, this profile, it does not paint the pussy posse in a, a flattering light whatsoever. But she also reports late at night receiving a phone call. Now, Nancy Joe, this is early kind of pre-internet reporting. So she would hand out a business card to any and all sources, hoping like hope that at 3 a.m. someone's going to call her a little bit inebriated and say, Nancy Joe, like I've got the, I've got the scoop. I've got the story. I'm finally ready to talk. Uh, apparently this was happening frequently. So this is one such example. Her answering machine goes off late at night and she kind of hears a familiar couple of voices it's like a group of guys they're obviously wasted you know they're cutting out it up in the background um and they say that nancy would have to make a deal to get time one-on-one with leo along the lines of doing something for him that monica did for bill Mm. Mm. you hate to see it you you hate to see it and at the time media was a real boys club and i think getting by is kind of a a post third wave feminist at, mm-hmm. the, at that point was just being like, I can give it, I can dish it as good as I get it. I'm, I'm here. I'm standing my ground. Nothing's going to shake me, but you were never going to actively call someone out on their bullshit. And she acknowledges that now, you know, almost 25 years later that that was really dark. And yeah. And also Bill at the time, he was a beloved president, um, I think, up until the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Which was actually happening in 1998. Yeah. So, yeah. hashtag current. You know, they were pulling out all the current references. But, but really unfortunate, I think, that... I mean, and I'm sure that Nancy Joe was not the only female reporter that was treated disrespectfully or, like, hit on or, you know, any such... Those things, I feel like, were the norm at this time. And again, he wasn't doing that much print and Nancy Joe takes credit to this uh, day that um, he will very rarely do print interviews because of this piece um, which is kind of funny when you think about it you know all his contemporaries from the Brad Pitts to the Christian Bales are still doing like a big GQ cover spread they're still having the headline and the moment and the and the shoot. Um, but Leonardo DiCaprio literally does junkets, um, video interviews, and that's yeah, like it. Yeah, roundtables round with tables other actors. With other actors, yeah. exactly. He's never singled out. He's never he never has a print profile. Um, but back then, he there was this old kind of video interview um, on the Titanic press run where he's very serious. He's a deeply serious kid, it seems like. Yes, and everyone talks about how he's, like, wise beyond his years, yes. incredibly mature. And the only time he kind of cracks a smile is when the interviewer asks him about Kate Winslet's nude scene, and he says, yeah, that was the first day on set. You know, I felt so sorry for the girl, you know, just having to strip down in front of the cast and crew, first day at work. And he says, you know, I wasn't uncomfortable, but I, I was uncomfortable for her. And it's just, it's just the expression, like, I cannot put my finger on it. It's just kind of, oh. I know, it's like a boyishness yes. where it's like, of course, this is how you are when you're talking about a naked girl. Yes, like, yeah. <laughs> like, kind of just like, it was just felt a little bit like lewd and just seedy and yeah. weird. But that was definitely the place in his life where he was. And um, th- this is all to say that 
We don't know because Nancy just cannot track him down. Wherever she goes, she keeps missing him. He does not exist. She gets to a kind of, like, the panic is very clear. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Which I think it would be set in for any journalist at this point. It's like you're getting closer to your deadline. You do not have any quotes from the you subject. Have nothing. You have nothing. Yeah. And she's at lunch with an editor. Yeah. Um, and she sort of goes after the next best thing. So she's at lunch with an editor. I think the guy's a bit playful. He's kind of laughing along with her that she literally has zero to go off of with to write this piece. And her editor friend is just like, isn't that, doesn't that kind of look like Leo over there? She turns around. This finance bro called Troy has the same gangliness, the same kind of brushed back mm-hmm. haircut falling into his eyes type of look. And she goes, what if we just dressed him up? Yeah. Troy, who has good sense, I feel like, <laughs> when Nancy Joe asks, do you want to be Leo for a night, for a day? He says, yes, why not? So they fit him with a hat. She gets a friend that's a photographer to follow him around like paparazzi. She gets another friend that's a bouncer to follow him around like security. And they basically take um, the town immediately. You've overlooked the crucial point what they hire a limousine on right. new york magazine of course time. of course how else would they get around the reason why this is the reason why this is important is that it would never happen today like i i i just want to preface what i got paid for a recent cover story and to be fair this is an indie magazine they don't have a lot of money but it was three hundred dollars yeah i also the $300, like, that's already, like, I feel like a fee that a lot of people are going around with. And on top of that, like, I don't think there would be the budget to buy, like, a, bo- a box of crackers if that's, like, what was needed. A hundred percent. I think I charged my $12 Uber and I was like, well, I am living. <laughs> but it's, it's funny. Nancy Joe really comes from this kind of different um, era, different of era of magazines where, look, there's no internet. All the ad revenue is filling up pages of magazines and newspapers. It's all in print. So it's a golden age. You know, people are signing on to contracts that involve a brownstone and a town car. Mm-hmm. That was what we're dealing with at the time. So, I mean, it's Carrie Bradshaw with her $4 word at Vogue. Word, $4 word column at Vogue. Yeah. So, you actually could be a writer at that time and live like that. Yes. Pretty, yeah, just comfortably. Yeah, so she makes a note about kind of the shabbiness of the limousine. And, I, yeah, I just want to quickly call that out. Just the <laughs> fact that you are in the limousine that the magazine is paid for is impressive yeah. in and the, itself. And the limousine actually gets into an accident while because of the fans throwing themselves at Leo wait over the course of the night yeah the limousine gets into an accident um because it's being swarmed from all sides whoa yes yes so it's like I guess like long story short they do convince the public that this is Leo that she's out with Leo she's pretending to be interviewing him asking him like Leo what's it like to be Leo 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 it's Leo can we get Leo in yes and this is the kind of piece de la resistance I can never get that out smoothly no it's hard it's (laughs) tough of the entire piece and it's actually crazy it's taken us this long to get to this point because the entire article and profile is anchored to this lookalike situation which is she can't get the real leo so this is the next best thing to kind of experience what it's like to be 
in his orbit. Uh, so Troy, aka Leo, um, gets hungry. He wants to go to Planet Hollywood, which I guess at the time had a lot of celebrity investors. Mm-hmm. And while Leo would never be caught dead there, it did have pretty strong A-list associations. They get into this restaurant. Everyone loses it. His suit from the Titanic is enshrined in glass. So there's already there's already a little bit of Leo memorabilia in in play there. And then the publicists for the restaurant, and I swear, Ivana, that these publicists, they just keep popping up. Yeah, they're, they're just everywhere. They're, they're, they're sleepless. <laughs> they are. They're in the city that never sleeps, and they are the sleepless. And the publicist comes over and says, hey, look, a major investor for Planet Hollywood would love to chop her in from the Hamptons to meet Leo while he's here. And she's like, fuck. Yeah, we've, we've gone <gasps> too far way now. over yeah. that. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that... Imagine a, a grown man just being like, I need to go meet this 23-year-old boy. Let me chart a helicopter yeah. from Long Island into the city. Like, I'm running, I'm getting my helmet, I'm getting there by any means necessary yes. to have, like, maybe five to ten minutes with him. Yes. And the only people who are brave enough, actually, to call out the fake Leo are, of course, no surprises here, two middle school girls <laughs> that basically show up to say... That's not Leo. That is not Leo. And under understandable because they have studied the curve of his body. They know exactly what he looks like moving around. And they know that there's no way this could be their man. They are their experts. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is how the piece kind of ends. It's a little bit sad. It's a little bit melancholy. Troy has just obviously been inundated with people at every turn who just want a little piece of him. And... Uh, the final line, I think, is something to the effect of, you know, I don't want to be Leo anymore. Um, and that's how Nancy concludes the story. The whole profile is written from this kind of like sardonic perspective. She clearly is poking fun at the concept of celebrity and how wild it's gotten. Um, yeah, she really lampoons celebrity culture yes, here yes. and the pandemonium and how these people are treated by the world and by the people nearest to them. But at the same time, there's not a whole lot of sympathy. No, no. Which, understandably, it's like for the most privileged among us. Yes. Like, it's clear she's not um, taken. Like, she's not... Um, she doesn't value celebrity in the way that it can often be like held on this pedestal. Yeah, and it's very clear that this is from an ex-reporter. Yes. Because I think profiling now has become known as this art form where you unravel the nuances of their every move. You know, they pause to take a sip of water. How do they do that? And this is very, you know, subject, quote, event like it's just one thing after the other there's no room for florality or like beauty it's pretty straightforward yeah it's I would say it's a reported piece and you can really see her background as a reporter because I think a lesser reporter could not have just shown up to these clubs clubs. and done the thing that like you know they talk about like back in the day we used to just bang down people's doors and be like can we interview you and she kind of does that she really like is like literally like I can't imagine like being in the middle of a club and being like, hi, I'm looking for someone. Yes. Can you talk to me right now? Yeah. Um, so absolutely like power to her for pulling together this piece and having it become a cover story when Leo it wasn't when it like it wasn't it, meant to be. No. It, yeah. And like today I can't imagine. Yeah. 
She also says, you know, cover stories are very formulaic and when you step outside of the formula and get experimental, that's when the good stuff comes out, which is obviously her literally hiring a lookalike. Um, and I, but I think the writing kind of has this, and this is, I think, common across a lot of her stories. It has this kind of holier-than-thou um, perspective. It's always written from this kind of moral high ground, it feels like, um, which is absolutely justified um, at times, especially when you're getting late-night phone calls asking for a blowjob. Like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny because I think that now she is very critical of the current celebrity profile and how it's become so puffy and fluffy and obsequious and just very complimentary. And it's like, dude, look, this is the reality. There's so many places that people can go for news. They can go to the talent's own social media to get a good look at who they are. They don't need to be reading. This isn't their only point of access like it was back then to even just find out remotely what their favorite stars like for breakfast or what they wear to bed. So I feel like the criticism is while justified, like a little bit unwarranted. And this was truly the golden age of media. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this story sort of really, um, was the first of this kind of like breaking the mold uh, or one of the first. I think that um, her, Lynn Hirschberg, there's like quite a few journalists that aren't afraid to do the unexpected. And it's hard to find it now just because the way celebrity functions is so different where everyone does have social media. And as we saw with scandals like the Jeremy Strong profile, oh, which it's, I cannot wait to get into this. I you know. just give a quick, quick, quick. Yeah, here? we'll go further in, yeah. you know, an episode down the line. But Jeremy Strong was the, is the lead of Succession, um, which is a wildly popular show right now. And he was profiled um, by The New Yorker. New York Magazine. New York Magazine, yeah. So yeah. it's literally the same as... Yeah. yeah. And um, everyone responded violently to it because <laughs> he, I think, went deep into his process. And yeah. it was so... Um, serious? Very serious. Very serious. The craft of acting. The craft of acting. Very, very serious. That I think the the writer was just um, unashamedly laughing at him. Um, there's a way in which if you want to, if you're kind of forced to write a puffy piece but don't like the talent, you can kind of let them hang themselves with their quotes, which I think is what the writer leaned into. Jessica Chastain came out and defended Jeremy Strong. A bunch of celebrities treated it like it was a hit piece. Yeah. And just went after the writer. And I think we were talking about this earlier. The protections aren't the same. No. For a writer or a freelancer for a publication that they used to be. Whereas New York Magazine would once kind of bustle a writer into their bosom and be like, you are us, we are you, we stand by you. Now it's like... I don't know her. Yeah. Yeah. You're on your own. You're on your own. Yeah. Goodbye. Um, Which is really unfortunate because that was the profile that like actually tried to paint Jeremy Strong in like as who he actually is versus the way that profiles so often come across, which are like, I actually just met the second coming of Christ today um, at lunch at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And I'm here to tell you the story of why this person is like the most incredible musician, actor, writer, whatever that's ever existed. And it takes a very talented journalist to humanize their subject and be critical 
Yeah. So it, it takes a really skilled writer and there are a few out there right now that are doing a great job of it. Um, but I do agree with, I do agree with Nancy Joe in that sense. It would be so nice if journalists had the space at the moment to be just a little bit, a little bit more real. I know it's hard. It takes like bravery because oh. the people that will come after you and people have come after writers and we're going to be, um, in the episodes to come getting into some of the more controversial profiles, um, both in the way that they were received by the public, um, some of the explosive profiles that weren't, you know, the stars themselves weren't happy with the profiles. Yes, and spoke out about them. Yes. yes. So it's sort of once these things are published, they have a life of their own, um, as is evidenced here. The sitting, quotes. Yeah. The oh. syndication from other outlets. Yes, totally. The, the TikTok journalists who go viral off the back of a green screen of the yeah. article. It's really, I mean, they really, they do. They live on. They yeah, really they live on. on. I mean, here we are 25 years later talking about Leo Prince of the City. Um, and that's because Insane. it captures the imagination. It gives us insight into someone. Okay, so from one to Pulitzer, what are we giving them? I feel like I would give it a seven or an eight, in large part because I really admire her just like drive to get quotes and figure out how to make this a story. Yeah, for me, I think it's a seven off the back of ingenuity alone. And also the fact that I know that my work is absolutely derivative of this. Whether Yes, I, we learned it from yeah. her. We learned it from her. <laughs> I know where where like I may not even be aware of it, but I know that I have pulled all of these tips and tricks to try and create a good story out of a kind of a talent interview that gave me absolutely nothing. Yes. Gave me a yes or no baby. Oh, uh, yeah. Every single question. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it's I mean it's 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 strong and it lives on in in the Zeitgeist, which is incredibly impressive. Would I watch a HBO series titled Looking for Leo? Ivana, I absolutely would. Yes. In nineties New York, it's like there are only so many seasons of Sex in the City oh. to take us back. Lord knows we have, we don't like coming forward. We no. haven't enjoyed it. No. So <laughs> on that note, we would love to know all the cover stories, all the celebrity profiles that like rocks your world for good or bad. Um, the things that you discovered that need to be delved into just um, email us directly at contact at un-covergirl.com. You can DM us on Instagram or TikTok at uncovergirlpodcast. And we're also on Twitter at uncovergirlpod. Literally any of the, any of the channels we want to know. We yeah. Wanna hear. Tell us what's keeping you up at night. Yes. What profiles you just can't get out of your head. Oh, current, past or present. Yeah. We want them all. We want them all. And we'll be coming back at you next week with a, a spicy new little number. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.